Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. That's where we're going to be looking today, Genesis 39, as we continue to look at this amazing biblical character whose name is Joseph. And Joseph, we talked about last week, is uh, a typology. He is an example of Jesus uh, of the New Testament, our Messiah. And he is a, a picture of that in the Old Testament. And you can search. He finds himself in 14 chapters of Genesis, and he finishes up the book for us. He is an amazing biblical character, and he is a person who points to the greatness of God and a trust factor that scores way out off the charts compared to where most of us are in our relationship with God. He is a guy who is a a favored son of his father. He is a hated brother with 11 brothers and a sister uh, because they're jealous, because among other things, he had this groovy uh, coat that his dad gave him, and they're jealous of it, and it's just a mess in his family, dysfunctional family dynamics. And so what we're going to learn today is from Joseph. He, he is an example to us of how we can live in a pagan, fallen world that's distant from God, and we can live differently than the rest of the world. And because of our life, lived fully committed to God, he will use us in powerful ways to change the world. Now, I just want to tell you, it doesn't matter where you are in your spirit spiritual journey. You may be as lost as a ball in high weeds and you don't know God from Adam's house cat and you don't know Jesus as your savior and you are running from God and you're rebellious and you don't want to hear from God and you don't want to live your life for God. I want to tell you right now, no matter where you are, God has a desire for you. God loves you so much that he came to this earth and died a brutal death on a cross because he loves you. No matter what you've done or where you've been, right now he loves you. He cannot love you anymore. He will not start loving you more when you start living better because he is love and his love is infinite and he cannot stop loving you. So he loves you and he wants you to be a part of his plan, his kingdom agenda. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You think you're here just by chance. God has designed and foreordained through his sovereignty that you be here today in this place and that you have a life to live for him. He wants to use you for his kingdom, something much bigger, much greater than what this world seems to throw at you to think, uh, to tell you that it has for you. And so Joseph is an example of what life looks like when God is your priority. Look at your neighbor and say, God deserves to be your priority. So today's message is called, When God is Your Priority, and point number one is this, when God is your priority, he will develop your faith. Tell your neighbor, he wants your faith. He's not content with this faith that happened somewhere in the past where you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and you surrendered to a call for salvation maybe, 
And, and maybe it was a vacation Bible school. Maybe it was a church camp. Maybe it was a revival. Maybe it was a Sunday morning. Maybe it was by your bed. Maybe it's through your parents or your grandparents. They're sharing, they're witnessing to you. And you just felt compelled to give your life to God in, through Jesus, his son. And you had this moment in time, man, where you just, you just said, okay, God, I believe it. I trust that you died on a cross. I trust that you love me. I want you to come in my life. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. But God's not content with that level of faith. God wants your faith to, to, to grow as you journey and pilgrimage along with him. He wants it to grow just supernaturally. He wants it to be this amazing thing, not some kind of washed up, diluted, uh, apathetic, miserable faith. He wants it to be dynamic and big and good. He wants it for every single one of us. And so he, when he becomes priority in your life, he will develop your faith. Now, it, he has to be a priority. Now, I'm very proud this week of, at Vacation Bible School. I had three young ladies <clears throat> who had opportunities to do things other than Vacation Bible School. I did not compel them. I did not shame them. I did not tell them if they didn't come to Vacation Bible School, they're going to hell. I didn't tell them nothing like that. Okay, but I had three young ladies who had, one of them had soccer tryouts, one had volleyball tryouts or practice, and the other one had uh, softball. Yeah, softball, soccer, and volleyball. All three girls came to me and said, well, their parents, one, one, either they told me or their parents told me, hey, I'm here, and I, I'm supposed to be over there, but I felt like I needed to be at Vacation Bible School. I did, man, join me in applauding for that. That's awesome. Because we live in a world that the enemy just throws everything in the kitchen sink at you and your family to interfere with your journey with God. And so what happens, what starts as this journey, man, where you're just moving with and toward God and you're experiencing him, and then all of this interruption comes into play, and all of a sudden, man, our faith is just flatlined on a good day, descending on a normal day, and all of a sudden, we don't really have a relationship with God anymore. And, and it's because he's not a priority. He becomes a convenience. We live in a world. We live in a, a religious world. We live in a church world where God has become a convenience, where if it's convenient for me to pray, I'll pray. If it's comfortable and, and the timing's right, I'll pray. If it's convenient for me to read the, the word, to get, in, to get into the scripture, I will if it works out with my timeline. If it's convenient for me to be at church, okay, I'll be there. It's a, and when all of those, which are disciplines that God has commanded to study, to pray, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, those are mandates from God. And when they are no longer significant, no longer important to us, God is no longer a priority in our life. He's just a convenience. And I want to tell you something. My God is much, much, much bigger than a convenience. He deserves to be the priority in your life. You may not let him, but he deserves it. Look at your neighbor and say, he needs to be a priority. So Joseph has every reason to kind of wane in this area, to kind of slip in this area. I mean, think about it. He's 17 years old. He's been given this dream, and the dream looks pretty cool. I mean, he looks in the future, and he's like a ruler, and his whole family's bowing down to worship him, and it's confirmed by another dream. I mean, it's a good plan. It's a good plan. But now all of a sudden, his brothers, in all of their hatred and frustration with him, they throw him in a cistern, and then they get him out, and they sell him into Egypt as a slave. 
He's a 17-year-old single guy who hadn't done anything but been given a dream of the future. He's just a 17-year-old guy that we'll find out is good-looking and well-built. He's just a 17-year-old guy who has now been separated from his dear father, from his brothers who couldn't really care for him. He's been placed in a foreign land. He has every reason for God not to be a priority in his life, better than our reasons. But you know what happens? He's faithful to God's plan and purpose in his life. And that's what we're going to see today. When God is our priority, he will develop our faith. Listen to what happens in verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and the Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Now, now he's, he's now a slave. He went from a free man looking at what 17-year-old, good-looking, well-built men would be looking at, a future with a wife, a future maybe with children, a future maybe with a, a business of some kind, a, a freedom to live the, in this world and experience all that life has, and all of a sudden now he's sold as a slave. Now what we do sometimes is we find ourselves in a place that is not our choosing or it's not our design. We don't like it. It's not exactly how we would design it ourselves. And so what we do is we get frustrated and we stop performing and we take God off of his throne and we just kind of live this mediocre life. And I got news for you. That is never God's plan. Never, ever, ever God's plan. In fact, listen, no matter where you are, it is because God has sovereignly ordained for you to be there. You say, oh no, I got a college degree. That's why I'm an engineer. God ordained for you to have a brain big enough to get a degree in engineering so you could be an engineer. It all goes back to God. Oh, well, you don't know. I work hard for what I have and I have achieved success because of my ability to work hard. The only reason you have the ability to work hard is because God has given you a body that allows you to work hard, okay? It all goes back to God. So he knows where you are. Now, the greatness of God is that he's never surprised or caught off guard. I want you to know that. He's never surprised. It's not like God is on his throne and one of his uh, underlings, maybe an angel, comes to him and says, God, Man, it slipped up on me. I know I was supposed to be looking after Joseph. His brothers have sold him into slavery, and now he's in Potiphar's house. He's in Egypt, and God is like, you're supposed to be up. You're fired. I'm getting another angel over here. Okay, I didn't know this was coming. Now i got to create another plan. Never, 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 never happens. Here's why. Because God is timeless. So when he looks at time, it's as if eternity past and eternity future is happening simultaneously in the minutest fraction of a second. And he sees everything past, present, future now. So there's no surprises in that. We can't understand that because we have these human minds created by the creator God, but he is never caught off guard and never surprised. And so I want you to know today, he's not surprised with you. He's not surprised if you're on fire for him. He's not surprised if you're kind of lukewarm for him. He's not surprised if you're as cold as a creek rock in your relationship with him. He's not surprised because he saw it coming, but it's not his desire. His desire is for you to have a, a burning, passionate relationship with the God who created you. And he's done all the work. What are you waiting for? 
So God has a plan, and his plan is always waiting for you to get there. Isn't that good stuff? His plan is always waiting on you because his plan doesn't modify based on you because he already knows it. So he's already got the plan. He's, He's put it out there, and he's over here saying, come on, come on. And he's waiting for you to get there so that he can implement that plan in your life. Now, the good news is that he knows everything. The bad news is that sometimes from our vantage point, his plan doesn't look so good. Sometimes from our perspective, his plan is a little painful. It's a little uncomfortable. It's It hurts. It requires us to trust when we really don't feel like trusting. It requires that we have faith even though we don't feel it in us. It's, it, it, it's, it, it can be frustrating and aggravating, but listen, because we know what the end result is, and we know where we are right now. What we don't know is what it looks like between point A and point B. And in this thing called the journey, that's where the stuff happens that develops our faith. And here's Joseph. He, he's had a dream. He's like, man, that's, thank you, God. That's a killer dream, man. My brothers are bowing down and worshiping me and my mom and dad and the stars. It's all good. And I'm, man, it's a really good dream. And so he sees that in the future. What he didn't see was a cistern. What he didn't see was Potiphar's house as a slave. What he doesn't see is Potiphar's wife. What he doesn't see is a jail sentence. He doesn't see all that in between. But you know what he did? He pressed on in the middle of hardship. So here's what happens. He, he's willing to say, God, no matter uh, what happens in my life, no matter what happens, God, I know that you are about redemption and restoration, and you're going to use me as part of the plan. That's it. He, he has his goal, and he just fits you in. He's formed you and fashioned you to fit into his plan. In John chapter 16, verse uh, 33, it says, These things have I spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage because I've overcome the world. He says, listen, I got the world in my hand. So if you will make me, God says, if you'll make me your priority, I will take this world that I have defeated, that I have in the palm of my hand, and I'll move it and mold it and manipulate it to bless your life. But it requires that he is our priority. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, you encounter trials or troubles. He says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's goal is not to harm you. God's goal is to help you. God's goal is is to make you better than you are and better than you know possibly you can be. That's God's goal for your life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. So today, maybe your life is good. As Nacho Libre would say, it's good. It's real good. That's old school, all right? Maybe your life is good. Well, you need to give God the glory for that. You need to express your your gratitude for that because I want to tell you something. It may not be good tomorrow, and likely it won't be because it will not always be good because you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Christian people, there's people 
Prosperity preachers who say, oh, if you give your life to Christ and you give your money to the church, you're always going to have money. You're always going to be healthy. There's nothing that can get to you. That's a lie. That is a lie, okay? If you give your life to Christ, it means that he's with you in the good and in the bad. So the bad news is, uh, the good news is that he knows everything. The bad news is that he, uh, that it doesn't always feel good, but no matter what, if we give our lives to him, he is right there with us. Now, maybe things are good or maybe things are bad. It's the same, it's the same truth in both directions. If it's bad, at some point it'll be good. If it's good, at some point it, it'll be bad. So no matter where you're at, you can give it to him and trust him with it and let him build your faith. Number two, when God is your priority, he will develop your success. It says in verse two, it says, now the Lord was with Joseph, five words that change everything in anybody's life. The Lord was with Joseph. He was successful. He lived in the household of the Egyptian master. His master observed that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he was doing successful. It says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar appointed Joseph overseer of his household and put him in charge of everything that he owned. From the time Potiphar appointed him over his household and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything that he had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and he gave no thought to anything except the food that he ate. Now, now hold on. He's a slave. He's been sold to Potiphar, who is second in command. He's like the vice president of Egypt. And now he is his right-hand man. <clears throat> he's like the vice vice president of Egypt. He's second, he's second, two steps down from the Pharaoh. He's a slave, but there, he's a different slave. He's a slave that God had his hand on. He's a slave who no matter where he's at in this world, in, in, in life, he gives it all he has. Listen, I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know who your boss is. I don't know how much you hate your job. I don't know how, how miserable you are each day. I don't know how happy you are each day. But I know this, if you will take everything you have and invest it in the place, in the moment where God has you, he will lift you up. The Bible says that everything Joseph touched, the Potiphar noticed it was blessed. When, when God has his rightful place of priority in your life, he'll bless your life and people will notice. Now, I don't take a whole lot of credit for much of anything except the bad in my life, but the good stuff that's in my life, I give to my parents, I give to my wife, and my girls, and God. <laughs> that's, pretty much, that's pretty much what whipped me into halfway decent shape on the good days, okay? Now, <clears throat> I remember 1985, uh, I took a job at Mueller in Chattanooga, and I didn't know what I was doing. I had a college degree, and that's all. I went into a foundry, and I went 100 miles an hour because that's all I had, no brakes. And I hit it as hard as I could. And, and I was at a place, God put us in a church, so help me, where my spirit was on fire for Jesus. It, most it had ever been to that place, that point in my life, with the exception of the moment I got saved. 
God was doing a powerful work in my life. I, I fell in love with his word. I, I couldn't stop reading it. I, I prayed all the time. I, I, I would be driving down the road and, and I would see the wind blow weeds and, 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 and it would make me pull over and start crying. And I'm, I never cried. It was just, he had his hand all over me. So at work, I just, man, I just, all day long, man, I had 100 miles an hour. And I got a nickname. You know my nickname in middle school, Brother Do, okay, from them stupid sermons. I had a nickname when I was at Mueller Company, Golden Boy, because all the people that were there were older people. You know, and, and back when I was in my 20s, you know, they were like ancient people. And so, so they were slow because they were old. Now I'm that guy, okay? And, and, and I'm 100 miles an hour, and God just... He just whispered on it and stuff they couldn't get fixed, I'd, I'd figure it out. And I don't, I'm telling you, I don't bring that much to the table. But God had his hand on me because he was a priority in my life. And the things I touched happened to turn to gold. And I, it was just God. And I'm telling you, that's what he does. I'm telling you, that's what he does. But if he's not your priority, he will not do that in your life. But when he becomes a priority, he'll begin to change. So where people watch you and they say, wow, there's stuff happens in that guy's life. Now, let me tell you, this world is not jumping up and down, waving their hands. Hey, I need a, I need a God chaser. I need a born-again believer. I need some Christian guy to come and be alongside me so my life is different. They don't want that. And they sure don't want your bony finger telling them where they're wrong. What they want is the blessing of God. And when they see that, they want you to come alongside them. Potiphar was a pagan man. He did not know God, but he knew God had his hand on Joseph. And he said, Joseph, come on. He said, I want you to be by my side. And the Bible says he gave him everything, power over everything in his house except his food. That's just a dude thing, you know. You can be over it all, but I'm going to take care of my own meals, okay? And so he gives him everything. Now, I remember uh, 1991 then. We'd been at Mueller, and I was golden boy, and God moved us to Alabama because here's what happens. There comes a place where you have to decide whether God is really a priority in your life. You have to decide that. You have to decide, is he a priority? Because people are watching. Let me tell you who's watching first, your children and your grandchildren. I got a little grandson. You know about him. Man, he's the coolest little bird in the world. He's, he's like I was, 1,000 miles an hour, no brakes. He will wear you slap out, okay? But he watches Popo to see if I'm real, you know? And when he's throwing the worst fit in the world, I just put some Jesus love. I kiss him all over the face, and he hates it. I love it. I just kiss him all. He knows Popo loves him, and there ain't no stopping. You can, throw up, you can hit me, whatever. I'm going to kiss you out in the face. I don't even care. That's, that's, he sees that. He, see, he sees us pray together. He's learning how to pray. He sees us talking about God. He, he sees us. I tell him, he'll come over to the house. I say, got to go to church. Church, he's ready to go to church. He knows where to. They're watching. They're watching. They're watching. And they're looking to see if God is a priority in your life or just a convenience when it's easy. They're watching. The people you work with, they're watching. The people you play with, they're watching. The people who live in your neighborhood, they're watching to see if you're committed to God or not. And based on your commitment, often it will determine the level of commitment that they have for God in their life. So 1991 comes, and I moved to Birmingham. Kendra still lived in Chattanooga. We had a little two-year-old, and she was pregnant. Kendra was, not a two-year-old. <laughs> thought, thought that clear that up, okay? So... 
We go down to Birmingham, and I had one big account. It was a million dollars a year, and it was the only big one I had. And so I, I did what the previous salesman told me to do. He said, just go in there twice a week with a sack full of biscuits they love to eat. Just check on your products. That's all you got to do. That's, what the, that's the, my, my instruction, okay? So you know what I did? A sack of biscuits twice a week. So I go in one day with my sack of biscuits, and I get stopped at the guard shack. And the guard said, I said, can I help you? He says, I need to collect your badge. I said, oh, okay. I thought he was going to give me a fresh one. He says, you won't be getting this back. You need to go to the front office to the uh, director of materials purchasing. I said, oh, okay. So I go to the front. I sat out there for an hour. He calls me in his big old office, fancy office. And I'm sitting in his office. I, I, don't, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to show some love on me. I don't know what he's going to do. He said, the reason why I called you in here, he says, uh, you've been backdoor selling. And I'm listening. He's, he's just proceeded to just wear me out. You've been buying TVs for people to get business. You've been buying them shotguns. You've been taking them on trips all to get business. And we don't play that. He's wearing me out. I've been there for about two months. My wife is still in Chattanooga pregnant. I changed jobs. I quit my old job. And I'm sitting there and I said, his name was Larry Perkle. I said, Larry, I said, Hold. I, said I, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is this. I'm a Christian and I have a young family, and we're moving down here, and I haven't done anything you just said, but if you'll tell me the rules, I'll play by your rules. And he said, what'd you say? I said, which part? He said about being a Christian. I said, I'm a Christian, man. I'm a Christian. And he, and we're sitting in his big old office. He was about 60 years old. He says, well, I'm sorry. He started crying. He said, I'm a Christian too, but I'm not acting like one. I thought to myself, no, you're not. Shame on you. I didn't say it. I thought it. Okay. So, so he said, I've been listening to the wrong people. He said, I believe you. I said, you should. I'm telling you the truth. I got a family. And I said, I'm, I'm here to serve you all. Now, the Lord knows what happened. It, it went from a, a meeting where he was not letting me in the plant anymore and he was going to terminate all of our business, and it was a million dollars a year. Within a few years, that one account moved to $4 million. I made so much money off that account. I got salesman of the year, and my company sent me and my wife and our two little girls to Hawaii. And our girls, they could care less if they were in Hawaii, Myrtle Beach, or North Lake. They didn't know the difference, okay? But the company's paying for it. We're going to Hawaii, okay? Got pictures of the girls. Got little coconut shell brassiers on them, man. It's a good look, I'm telling you, okay? You know what I'm talking about, okay? Now, listen, I'm telling you, that's what God does when you make him your priority, he looks for that. He longs for that. He desires that, and he rewards that. I'm telling you, I don't bring that much to the table. Kyle brings a lot to the table. Joe brings a lot to the table. Very gifted people, okay? I'm just a guy that tries to put God as a priority in my life. So if you're here and you, you don't really feel like you bring that much to the table, it's okay. God will bring it all to the table with chips and dessert and everything else. Okay, because that's how he does it. So God blesses, and, uh, and he blesses well. 
First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, sometimes we get in the middle of that place where we start and we see the future and we get an understanding that God has something greater for us over here. And we get in the middle and we get in a hard spot that's very uncomfortable for us. And so we start to try to do things ourselves, And we try to elevate ourselves. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm right here. You need to be elevating me. And the whole time God says, don't, you don't have to do that. I will take care of that. I will lift you up in due time according to his marvelous plan. And so I want to encourage you this morning when God is your priority and when you are obedient to his call in your life and when you give him your past and your present and your future and you just say, God, here it is. I don't know what it looks like tomorrow, but I trust you. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to keep making you, intentionally making you a priority in my life. I'm going to give it to you because I know you can do something with it. And he will not walk away from that. He will embrace that. And there's people in here right now who are in life change, who are in a place in life that's uncomfortable, man. It, it's got some, I mean, it's got some thorns in the saddle, man. It's just, it just is not comfortable. And God's on his big old throne and he says, hey, I see where you're at. And you're my child, and I loved you so much I died on a cross for you. Why would I not take that and make something of it? Will you let me? And, and then it's up to us whether or not we trust him. So he'll develop our successes when we let him. So what does that look like? Well, I got to draw attention to something that's kind of funny in a worship guide. I don't know if you notice the worship guide. Who reads the worship guide? Who leaves them laying in the seats? I know who you are because I pick yours up every week. Okay. Well, in here we track, we put a lot of announcements in here and put sermon notes on the back. We also track our uh, attendance and our giving. And so our giving, uh, we, I'm delighted. God, God is blessing our people uh, financially along with other ways. You know, uh, they're God's blessing um, blessing our church with fertility. I mean, is it, you know, I tell people all the time, don't drink the water you know, uh, and, and it's wonderful. And he's blessing us financially. So our giving is, is, and this is not a giving sermon. This just happened at a time when I'm preaching this sermon. And so our, our, our budget is like $8,300 a week is what our cost or our budget is. We don't spend that much, but that's what we budget. And usually we beat that every week uh, as our average. And so we beat it last week, had a really good offering last week. And then Monday had somebody call me. He says, hey, man, you're going to be around a few minutes? I said, yeah. He said, I'd like to come by. I said, okay. And uh, he came by and he said, you know, God's been good to me. And I said, yeah, I know, because I knew he had. And, and, and he said, yeah, he's been real good. I said, I know, you ain't telling me nothing, you know, because I know. I, I watch. I see y'all. I talk to y'all. I see what God's doing in your life and over you. Whether you see it or not, I see it. And, and he said, well, he's been real good, and I, I want to be a blessing uh, back to his church. And I said, that's, that's the right response. And so he handed me a check for about $41,000, dollars <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a typo. Okay. And, 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 and he said, I just wanted to give it as an anonymous gift because, you know, I just, I just want the church to be blessed. I don't really want people to know where it came from. So I'm not going to tell you it was, I'd like to tell you it was me, <laughs> but it wasn't. Uh, <clears throat> because if I gave that much, it means he blessed me a whole lot. That's good stuff. Okay, and I'll tell you that to say that this, when God becomes a priority in your life, when successes come into your life, you know from whence your blessings have come. And let me just tell you, we are a blessed people, church. You're blessed. 
you are blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're way too blessed. And if you don't think you're blessed because you're in a weird spot in your journey in your life and you think, I just don't think I'm that blessed right now, I would encourage you, sign up for the next mission trip to Honduras, Brazil, Philippines, yeah, pretty much anywhere else in the planet, okay? Go there for a while. Watch how the rest of the world lives, and you will come back and say, we are blessed. Thank you, God. He will bless, and he will develop your successes. Number three, he will develop your character. I want you to know this morning, character is, is incredibly important to God. Character is that thing, A.W. Tozer says, character is that thing that happens behind closed doors in the dark where no one is but you. It's that thing that nobody, those moments that nobody is aware of, okay? That's when character comes out. That's really who you are. It says, now, Joseph was well-built and good-looking. Now, that's a problem, okay? Here's a 17-year-old probably a virgin, been transported to a pagan land, and he looks up and he is well-built and good-looking. Seldom, if ever, does the Bible ever say this about a, a guy. He's well-built and good-looking, you know? So here's, a, he's looking like Brad Pitt or somebody, and he's got a chiseled body, got a six-pack. I told somebody, and, and it causes him a problem. Women want to get him in bed. I told Kendra, I said, that's, that's why I put my six-pack in a 24-quart igloo, Okay? That way the women will leave me alone, okay? I mean, it's a problem. If you are well-built, if you're well-built and good-looking, you've got a troubled life. It, it, pays off, it pays off to be ugly sometimes, okay? I'm a walking testimony, okay? Now, he says, it says that he was good-looking, well-built, and soon after these things, his master, Potiphar's wife, began to take notice of him, okay? And this is what she said. His wife took notice of Joseph and said, hey, have sex with me. But he refused, saying to his master's wife, look, my master does not give any thought to his whole household with me here. And everything that he owns, he has put into my care. See, he understood the consequences of a mistake. He understood that every decision that we make is incredibly important to the future of what God is doing in our life. He understood that character matters. It matters that we're the same person on Sunday morning. I shouldn't say that. Sometimes scoundrels on Sunday morning. It matters that it matters that we realize that God is watching every moment of our day and recording it in in the, His logbook in time. And one day we get an answer for that. So it matters what happens in the darkness behind closed doors. Here's a guy, he's 17, he's good looking, he's chiseled, he's got this woman and she's right there. His brothers are at a distance, they sold him, he has nothing. Nobody knows, nobody will know, won't hurt anything. It would be so easy for him to just say, okay, let's go. But he didn't, he refused. It is important that we understand that God's desire for us to be pure and have high character is important. Ephesians 5.3, this says this, but among you, he's talking to the church. He says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. 
Character matters to God. He cares. He cares how you live your life when nobody's looking. He cares what you're, when you're in your office or in your home by yourself and you've got your computer. He cares what's coming on that screen. He cares about those conversations that are going on that nobody knows about. He cares about your text messages. He cares about that stuff. He cares that you have a high character. I remember the first time, seriously, my character was in question sexually. I was, uh, I was in uh, Memphis I used, when I traveled, and I would leave late because I wanted to spend time with my family, and I would drive wherever, and I would get there early, do my business, and I would drive home. And this particular night, I drove to Memphis, and uh, I had a wife and two little girls at home. And I rolled into Memphis, and there was nobody in this Holiday Inn except the little girl at the, at the desk. And I went up and got my room. And there's no, I'm telling you, there's not a soul. Didn't see a soul in the parking lot. Didn't see a soul anywhere. Got my room, had my bag. I walked down to the elevator. Didn't see a soul. Hit the button, door open. I stepped on the elevator. Nobody on the elevator. Hit number two. Door closed, looked up, and there's a beautiful woman standing in there. I don't know if she Spider-Manned it out of the ceiling or what she did, but she's right there. She's looking good. She was, she was a really pretty woman. She said, hey, how are you? I said, fine. You know. She said, uh, would you like some company for the night? I said, uh, no. You know. I said, no, I got to get up early in the morning. I, had, you know, I, I didn't say, you know, I'm a Christian and that's a sin. And you know, You're going to hell, you keep that stuff up. I didn't say that. I, I was just kind of playing it cool. And she said, I don't have to stay all night. I could just stay for a little while. And in a flash of time, God whispered my whispered to my heart, and he said, hey, Joel, you're a deacon in your church. You're a Sunday school teacher. You got a lovely bride at home, two beautiful little girls. You got a career. You got a life. You got a church, and it's good. And you could cash it all in in just a little while. And I said, no, thank you. And door opened up. I didn't care if it was halfway between floors. I was coming out of that elevator. I got out of that elevator and never saw her again, okay? And this was before cell phones, you know? I went straight to my room, and I called Kendra. And I said, Kendra, I said, I'm here, safe. I said, I got to tell you what happened, you know? Now, she trusted me because we had already gone through a character scandal previously, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why in that moment she knew I was telling her the truth. One, I was confessing it, okay? Number two, a couple of years before, I got home from work one day, and she said, I said, hey, baby, how you doing? She's fine. <laughs> Guys, you know, what that's, you know what that is? You know what I'm talking about? Fine. We don't seem fine. Everything okay? Yeah, it's fine. I said, okay. I just walked off. I'll tell you what's wrong. I want to know who's sharing. I said, Sherry, I don't know. Sherry, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, yes, you know Sherry. I said, I don't know Sherry. I got a, girl, I got a cousin named Sherry, you know. I don't know. I said, who, where, where'd this come from? Oh, she called here today. I said, who did? Sherry. I said, what did she say? She said, is Joel there? That's how she said. That's how she said this lady said that. Is Joel there? And she said, No. Uh, could I take a message? Oh, she said, who is this? This is Sherry. And says, Sherry who? And she said, never mind. I'll call back later. I hung up phone. So she said, I said, Kendra, Jesus is my way. I've never cheated on you, nothing. 
Okay, I got nothing. God knows my heart. He can strike me dead, okay? I've never done that. Okay, I don't know a sherry. It's all good. Well, she was a little shaky with it, but, you know, she, she believed me. Well, I was teaching adult Sunday school, and I told the class that that Sunday. I said, listen, character matters. We're talking about integrity and trust. And I said, you know, she knew that I wasn't do, doing that, but she, you know, it was enough reason to be concerned. So I told the class that. So about a year later, this kid joined our youth group, and he says, uh, Joel. I said, yeah. He said, I thought you were going to add on to our house. I had a construction company. I said, I don't know who your house is. And he said, I think my mom called you. And I said, what's your mom's name? He said, Sherry. I said, Sherry? <laughs> I said, Kendra, come here. I got Sherry, you know. So I told that story in adult Sunday school the following Sunday. And this deacon came up to me afterwards. He said, Joel, you're going to have to forgive me. I said, for what? He said, for a whole year. I really thought you had a Sherry. I said, I will punch you in the throat in Jesus' name. I do not have a sherry. Now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, one decision, one moment at a time, God wants to build your character. He wants to develop your character so that you're different than the world. He didn't save you to leave you alone. He didn't save you just to punch your ticket and get you in heaven. He saved you to change you, to, to develop you so that you influence the world for his name and his glory. Now, you may be here and your character stinks, you may be hearing you got a reputation that you're dragging these bags behind you. You're just dragging them, man, the wheel. One wheel broke off. You know what? Anybody got one of those bags? You go to the airport and one of the wheels, it's like the shopping cart. I was at Kroger. You know, you're the only one going through Kroger like this, you know. They think you got a short leg. They don't know what it is. And, and, and that's how we do with our character baggage, man. We just, we dragging it around. You know, we, we're, we're broke down because we're dragging. Listen, God says, listen, I want to take your baggage, your character baggage, and I want to cast it as far as the east is from the west. I want to put it in the sea of, of uh, no longer remembering. I want to start right now <clears throat> and develop your character brand new for my kingdom and my glory. But we have to let him. We have to surrender it. We have to get to a place where we say, God, I kind of choked on that. I want you to take it and take me and make it and make me something that gives you glory. And he will do it because that's the kind of God we serve. So he develops, finally, he'll develop our theology. And this is really cool stuff because all of us have committed sin. I, I get to share the, the gospel to vacation, to vacation Bible school kids. And I, I say, uh, who in here has committed a sin? And man, they are open books. Yeah. You know, I bit my sister on the ear, you know, I, you know, I, I did this, you know, I mean, I mean, they're just confession. It's like, I'm the priest, you know, they're just confessing it. And, and I said, I know you were sinners before you, before you told me, and I know y'all are sinners. Everybody in here, look at your neighbor and say sinner. Yeah, some of y'all been wanting to say it all day. All right? We're all sinners. The Bible says that, that all have come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. It's just real. But the problem is we have a, a, a confused theology about what sin, who sin is against, who our offense is against. Our offense, although is toward someone, and the ramifications and the consequences hurt other people on the horizontal plane, our offense is toward God. It's vertical. Every sin, every small sin, every big sin with God, they're all sin. All of our offenses are toward God. That's who we sin against. And so in this passage, Joseph, because he's brilliant and he's, and he's got God as a priority, and he says, there is no longer, there's no one greater in this household than I am. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. 
So how could I do such a great evil and sin? Now, he's been talking about Potiphar. And he says, how can I do this thing and sin? And then he changes gears, and he goes from horizontal to vertical, and he says, and sin against God. When we sin, it's against God, and that's a big deal. And when God is our priority, we understand the significance of our sin toward God. Do you understand every sin you commit, no matter what it is, no matter what level you want to put it in, Every sin cost Jesus his blood and his life on a cross. You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. You remember what we said in the beginning? God is timeless. And so I don't know how this works, but if today, not if, when today I sin, it punishes Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now, I don't understand that because that's outside of us because we have, we're on a timeline. But when you sin today, tomorrow, It punishes Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago as if it's happening right now. I don't understand that, but that's how God is. I remember, so we have to understand that when we sin, it's a really big deal. I had a kid who came from Romania, uh, and his name was Roger Luca. And his parents said, can you take him and introduce him to the school, to the high school? And I said, yeah. So I said, Roger, let's go watch the football team practice because he didn't know what our football was. And we're sitting up there, and out of nowhere, he says, Joel? I said, yeah, Rog. He says, those, those boys, do they smoke? And I said, you mean like weed or cigarettes or what? He says, cigarettes. I said, uh, eh, probably 25 or 30% of them do. I said, do you smoke? And this way he said, no, I'm a Christian. I said, okay, so it's cool. I didn't start the conversation, Okay. So then he says, Joel, those boys, do they drink? I said, I mean, like alcohol? He said, yes. I said, probably about the same percentage, probably a third of them mess around with it a little bit. I said, do you drink? No, I'm a Christian. I said, okay, man, it's all good. And in that moment, it dawned on me, man, what, what has happened to us that when it comes to choice, life choices and sinfulness, that we don't stomp it in the ground like Roger Luca and say, no. I'm a Christian. I mean, when the devil comes and he brings that garbage at us, what has happened to us? We, I mean, okay, I just dabble around in it a little bit. You know, it ain't going to hurt. Yes, it hurts. It's offensive to God. You say, where do you get this at? Well, obviously, Joseph said it. I want you to know that the word sin is a Greek word uh, that is called, it, it, you it pronounce, pronounce it hamartia, okay? And it is an offense toward God. And And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan comes to David because he has slept with another man's wife, Bathsheba, sent Uriah to the front line, had him murdered. Nathan comes to him and confronts him with it. And he says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And then down in 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51.4, David writes again, he says, against you, you alone, God, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. I want you to know today that we live in a world where God has become a convenience. Everything else seems to make its way to the top of the totem pole. Everything else. And you know it's true. And all the while, there's a God who is true and living the one and only God, 
the creator and sustainer of you and me and everything in existence. And he, he is above it all. And there is nothing that you will ever put on the totem pole higher than him that he didn't create. And God is saying, put me on top. Make me your priority. I dare you to see what I do with your life. And so we're here, and I just want you to know, the moment that you start putting God the priority in your life, that's the moment that your journey with him gets beautiful. I will make you a promise. God's ways are always good. God's ways are always beautiful. And for some reason, he has chosen to include the likes of me and you in his plan and in his purposes to lift up his name and to give him glory. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You may be here today, and it's what I'm talking about, maybe foreign, you've never experienced it. I want you to know God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you are today. He still loves you. He's not given up on you, and he wants something great in your life. He wants you. And if you're willing today to make him your priority and surrender to him, he will do something with your life. And it begins, the only way God can ever be a priority in your life is when you are a child of God, when you've been adopted into his kingdom. And let me tell you what that means. It means God saw you in your sinfulness and he chose to do something about it. He came down here and he died in your place to pay the debt that you owed for your sin. He paid a debt he didn't know and a debt you couldn't pay because he loves you. He loves you. And the Bible says that when we realize that the wages of sin is death and that, that, that there's a free gift of God called grace found in Jesus, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord of our life and we believe in our heart now that God has raised him from the dead to be alive in us, the Bible says then we can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that old sinful, separated from God life and brought into a brand new life with him and he makes us a brand new creature. If you're here today and you've never done that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you put your hand up so I can pray for you? Just put your hand up. So I've never done that. I've never done that. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you've done that, but your life has not significantly, radically been changed because you have not made God the priority in your life. The altar will be open here if you want to come and pray. I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray for these that are gathered here this morning in this place. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict their hearts and warm their hearts all at the same time. God, that you'll come like a mighty rushing wind down into the depths of their soul and remind them how much you love them so much that you, that you died for their sin. But God, you, you, I, would, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would invite them to a new place, that you would draw them and just pull them out of that flat, apathetic, lukewarm, miserable Christianity. And God, you know I'm your, I'm your servant and your son, and you know I spent time in that zone. So God, I'm not, I'm not judging or accusing anybody, but I know what it feels like on the other side, God. It feels good. It feels really good. And I pray that you'll help them find that place where they put you 
as the priority of their life and experience all that you have for them. God, we thank you for choosing to love the unlovable and choosing to do something about it. In Jesus' name.